Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. again on a Friday. Friday is my day for the Code 47 podcast. This is episode 67 on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am Charlie Carden, uh, your humble humble truck lord of West Michigan, joined as always by my friend of the stars, uh, the lady with the lovely green flowing locks. That would be Miss Katie Q. Katie, how are you? How are you on this Friday? I am good. I am grateful that you are letting us do this on Friday or that you made accommodations for us to record on at four on a Friday. That's pretty uh, early for us. So I know. Well, I, you know, you, you've just got to stay fluid. You know, real life <laughs> happens. You've got a busy job. I've got a busy job. So but we still find time uh, to create much like the people who have been making Star Trek for all of these years have been creating. But unfortunately, they do not make these fun VHS covers anymore, so I have to I have to get my shovel and dig through the depths of the internet to find these bad boys. And this week, uh, for number sixty-seven, I found a VHS copy uh, from May of nineteen ninety-five of the episode "The Die Is Cast," and that's a rough I, one. I want I want to guess: is this the one where the uh, changelings get that weird disease? No, nearly dies. Oh, not not I was not trying to figure out why he looked like that. Well, it's <laughs> that's not bad because they eventually reused essentially the same makeup format for the episode where the changelings gave him a disease to make him go back to the to the gamma quadrant. That's that happened. That happened. Yeah, that happened at the end of season five, and then in season seven. The same disease that Starfleet gave him, he gave to them. But this is actually uh, from a season three episode. What had happened was the Romulan Talshiar had teamed up with the Cardassian Obsidian Order. They made a fleet and they went into the Gamma Quadrant. I keep wanting to call it the Delta Quadrant. It's just we've been talking about Voyager so much. They go into the Gamma Quadrant to wipe out the homeworld of the Dominion, but the whole thing is a setup, um, and the Dominion orchestrated it. That flight, fleet gets wiped out. Um, but in the time in between, to try to extract information from Odo, they lock him in this quantum stasis field that he can't uh, revert to his gelatinous form, which he has to do every eighteen hours right, or something. Right. So it's like it'd be like if one of us, you know, couldn't sleep or whatever, would be all falling apart. So that, that that's what was ha- that's why he basically looks I know like I look he, like that if I I'm, can't I'm, sleep for you know. If I don't get my too. full eight hours, I look yeah. exactly like that. Yeah, just absolutely. Yeah, he looks like he looks like Tyrone Biggums. That's what he looks like. That's rough. Oh my goodness! So yeah, that's a fun episode. And of course, on down the road, it will be an episode that you and I will discuss. We're we're getting into talking about Deep Space Nine season two uh, here in a couple of weeks, but not today. Today we have a a double dose of two shows, um, and then we're talking about the movie nineteen ninety eight Star Trek Insurrection. But first, we have a genuine news article. Uh, it was announced this week. Uh, that season two of Strange New Worlds is in productions, which which is awesome. We're getting season one uh, in May. Um, but they have cast a young actor in the role of James Tiberius Kirk. And that is one Paul Wesley, best known for 
The Vampire Diaries, which is a show I've watched a couple of episodes of because somebody kind of yeah. kind of cajoled me into it a very long time ago. And I was like, eh, yeah, I don't think Vampire so. Vampire Kirk. Okay. I was trying to yeah. think why you kept saying Vampire <laughs> Kirk. And I'm like, is is like, is he young because he's a vampire? Like, does he get vampire disease or some is sort he, of alien race? Like, is he is he sparkly? Yeah, right, is he did. Okay, so listeners, uh, Charlie, bless his heart, has a real. Um, he he likes to surprise me. He he likes to keep me on my toes, and usually it's okay. So you have the document pulled up for the podcast, and I go, "You did not send it to me." Whoops! And then I get it at. Like as we're starting the podcast, so I had no idea we were covering this story. And I had no idea what it's about. Got to keep you on your toes. <laughs> so I was trying to figure out what was going on. Although it makes sense, I was trying to figure out what they would do in Stranger um, or Strange New Worlds because I know that um, oh, what's his face? I just rewatched Discovery. I should remember him. Um, Get Pike. It. Pike, yeah, yeah, he was only in uh, TOS for like one season. He okay, was he was he was it. he was in there for one episode. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way the way it worked with Pike is that the, the famous story is there was um, the, in 1965 they shot a pilot called The Cage, uh, which Jeffrey Hunter starred as Captain Pike. Uh, you did actually have um, Leonard Nimoy as Spock, uh, and then you had Major Barrett later Major Barrett Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's eventual wife as mm-hmm. number one. Those three characters were recast for season two of Discovery uh, many years later, and those and we picked up their adventures a few years after the events of this this telefilm, the the Cage, which never aired on regular TV. Now they did take in season one of TOS, they did take uh, basically clips of that, and they integrated it into a two part. It was a clip show within an episode as opposed to the clip show that we were just lambasting that TNG did at the end of season two <laughs> in our last episode. They yeah. made a they made a, a fairly good story out of it. And so you got to see Jeff Hunter uh, as Captain Pike in this. But in Discovery season two, you you know, he was recast as, as actor Anson Mount to great acclaim. I certainly right. loved him so much to the fact that he now has his own show. So oh, they're yeah, going fantastic. They're going to, in season two, kind of work. Uh, James Kirk into it, although James Kirk was not the captain of the Enterprise, uh, presumably Mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, It says here there's no details if Wesley will be a serious regular or be a guest or a recurring role. Um, but they did confirm that Anson Mount will continue to star, so it's unlikely that he's going that this actor will have a starring role. Um, it has been suggested if you were to you know get out the shovel and dig deep that at this time period, like probably six or seven years prior to the first season of TOS, Captain Kirk was, uh, or Kirk was essentially commanding potentially a smaller vessel called the Republic, or he, uh, you, in TOS, you did find out he also served on another ship called the Farragut. There was an episode about that. So kind of uncertain, but I mean, I, you know, I have seen this actor and other stuff and he's, I mean, if you, you see a picture of him, you know, in uniform in this article, but then you also scroll down and he's got this chiseled chin and this very Shatner looking ass. So I, yeah, I think he, he uh, looks like a young Shatner. It works. Yeah. I think, I think it'll totally work. So, but again, because this is season two, that's filming, it's nothing that we'll see until at least 2023, but I, um, yeah, it's I, kind of surprising that they're already doing two and like making announcements about season two. Right. And they haven't even launched season one yet. I know. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's all a matter of the buzz buzz, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, if something is buzzy and it, could be i think it also could be a matter of days beforehand some uh on location set photos leaked and so they're probably like oh shit we got to get something out there and so yeah, here we maybe. go yeah because i agree with you it'd be much yeah much, they wouldn't, yeah much i mean i don't know if they would have known 
yeah, they wouldn't have really known even if set photos leaked. Like it's, there's right. nothing about the photo that says, oh, that's, you know, going to be Kirk. Right, so exactly. I'm wondering just, if they're just trying to get Buzz going right before Strange New Worlds actually, you know, airs for the first time. So then people can be like, well, I'm going to turn into season one because season two is going to have Kirk in it. Yeah, exactly. People who are big, big, big Kirk heads. You never know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that that's cool. And I'm very excited um, for this show to roll out. So... Anyhow, uh, moving on, I always like to call that segment half. Uh, rolling <laughs> on to segment one, uh, we have this is our first um, double header week where we've had uh, four episodes of two different shows to talk about. So yes. I'm not going to say we'll have to talk fast, but we'll probably have to talk somewhat in a <laughs> clip or we might be here all day. You might um, not be able to give the full synopsis of the episode. Right, exactly. <laughs> which, 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 again, you know, we definitely want to give. Um, our, you know, our, our two cents about these episodes, but we don't want to overload it to the point you're like, eh, well, I just, you know, these guys just kind of beat it to death for me and now I don't want to watch it. Um, because, of course, if you're, you know, listening to our show, we imagine that you're Trekkers who enjoy watching shows, but uh, you, for some reason, are sitting here listening to us talk about it. And, uh, you know, that's on you. That's not on us, though. <laughs> oh my goodness all right so up first we have the final two episodes of uh season four of star trek discovery the first of which is species 10 c uh as the dma approaches earth and navarre remembering that from our last episode captain mm-hmm. burnham and the crew of the uss discovery attempt to make first contact with a powerful species responsible before it's too late yomp, yomp, yomp. oh my goodness action-packed this this episode to me was like star trek absolutely at its core first contact mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. to communicate with an alien species so so different that they're uh, they're non-corporeal, largely non-corporeal, or they they exist in this very quasi-corporeal state because so much of what they do, their their languages, as you find out as the episode goes on, is completely numerically based. So they have to, you know, it's it's the whole crew working together, and it was both in this and then certainly in the subsequent episode that you know Discovery is kind of continuing their trend of having all of the bridge crew as being a part, because you'll certainly see that mm-hmm. as we go on to talk about um, the finale, uh, that you had everybody in the mix down there helping out, plus the general uh, from Earth, plus obviously the Federation president, uh, and uh, Dr. What's-His-Butt, who was the principal on Smallville, whose name I can never remember, but he's one of these Canadian actors <laughs> that, you, that you see absolutely everywhere. Um, but yeah, I really love that this was just very, very Star Trekky to me because they just, you know, they, Saru is, is working with the device and you got Stamets and Adira and the whole, you know, the science aspect of it. Um, but at the same while, you've got, you know, kind of your favorite dude. You've got Book and Tarka dicking about. Um, and yeah, it just, uh, it, it, oh. Still nothing. Still nothing about that guy. That guy. Anyway, yeah. go ahead, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I might mess up what happened exactly in which episode. That's fine. Because I kind of watched them back to back, but again, I Tarka just she just rubs me the wrong way. We've already talked about the fact that they kind of tried too late to give him a backstory. I honestly think they should have just introduced him much earlier in the season, because it became apparent when. Book was talking with, um, oh, uh, what's her face? Uh, Reno. Got kidnapped. Yeah, Reno. Um, that Tarka had pretty much groomed Book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he was in his own, like, kind of abusive relationship with her. 
And it really fell flat, or it seemed like that might be what they were trying to do because books mm-hmm. in here are talking about how couriers, they, you know, everything's about trust and you have to be able to rely on one another. And I'm like, Turco has literally lied to you repeatedly, taken over your ship more than once and like done horrible things against your will, nearly gotten the love of your life killed on multiple occasions. And you're right. like, we're all about trust. I can't do anything if I don't trust them. And I'm like, yeah, he goes on to tell this whole story about well, you know, in the courier trade, my yeah, yeah, my my mentor's name was Cleveland Booker, and you know, in the in the courier world, someone trusts a name so much that the person who apprentices over under the person who holds that name when they retire or die or whatever it is, they hand the name. It's like they're like Jedi, you know. It's just like yeah, I'm part I'm part really of this guild. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's great, but yeah, you're right. It's completely antithetical to what happens in this situation because Booker is just like well. I guess he must be good or whatever because we kind of sort of have the same goal and even when he learns that well you've lied to me and you put discovery uh in jeopardy and then you take my ship over and then uh when I try to stop you you're you know throwing me against the walls and breaking my face or whatever mm-hmm. and um and in the end of it he's still uh trying to find a way to redeem himself or not caring about redeeming himself the whole I mean I feel like I have to go back and watch the season again because Tarka's motivation about where he's trying to get to is just, it's just, it's eluding me. He thinks that his partner, the guy he was in prison with, that he has this connection with, escaped to another reality. I'm just, I'm it's, just. Yeah, it's like another universe, an, an, a different mirror universe. And okay. It, I think Tarka came from that universe. You see what I mean? Exactly. It's just it's yeah. Or they that, escaped from it. He he claimed that he was from a different universe. I'm not sure if he actually meant that or if that's right. just the line that he fed. I, I feel initially. I, that's I think what it was I, the line yeah. he fed book initially just yeah. to say that, and then he was trying to escape to see if he could make it. Right. But again, it just it lacked so much from a show that is normally so good about their underlying themes of mental health and like self-awareness and Mm -hmm, relationship mm -hmm. building. I just was really surprised at how poorly they wrote Tarka and how he just was so, and the thing is, I was thinking about it. I might actually like him in a different show. Like I'd be like, yeah, he was okay. I Mm -hmm. might not be as hard on him, but the fact that discovery is so good at building rich, fully realized characters that I just was like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Yeah. He's very, he's very, like I've said it before, he's like very Billy Zane from Titanic, just very mm-hmm. one dimensional. I'm just a very much a bad dude and mm-hmm. for himself doing what he needs to do to kind of twist and turn and, and difference. And, and yeah, just, bleh. so, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll put a Twitter challenge out there. Hit us up at secret friends. You let us know what we're like, not remembering about Tarka. Cause we're both like, and the guy was kind of a dick. That's what I remember. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, moving on to yeah. the f- finale. I will. This one's all you. You go ahead and read the. You get. You read. Read the uh, description and get started. Okay. And I will. I'll hop in. <laughs> As the DMA approaches Earth and Navarre, with evacuations underway, Burnham and the team aboard the USS Discovery must find a way to communicate and connect with a species from a different or a species far different from their own before time runs out slash season finale Ooh. and i was really excited about this one um because it starts out and we get tilly again i was super Woo! excited to see her on board Woot. and she you're kind of seeing you know both sides where you have the stress and hecticness of them trying to get 
folks off of Earth and off of Titan and off of Navarre. And then you have on the other side, Burnham and their crew trying to reestablish contact because they lost trust with um, 10C once Book and Tarka tried to do their thing. So they're trying to stop Book and Tarka. They're trying to explain to the 10C, hey, they're not with us. We don't know what they're doing. They crazy. And I just loved everything about the 10C. I think it was a really great way of even them using like math is universal. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of how they established boundaries of how they communicate or kind of guidelines of how they communicate. And that was really, really phenomenal. And you get to see them and they, when you finally actually see them um, on, uh, on the gas planet, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played MTG, but it definitely re- they reminded me of Emrukul, who is like this huge, like crazy. It's kind of their version of Cthulhu in the Magic Realm. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, you're totally right. That that is what I thought because they were both in, in this episode and the preceding one. When you would get kind of a glimpse of what Tensi would be, it would just you know you had that that amber background and kind of poking through. It was like you know Cloverfield. It was like you know you kind of got yeah. this this big monster vibe, but you really find out that, that uh, species 10 C is, is really very, they, they have a great capacity for empathy when they feel, you know, at the end of it, the conclusion of it, when they figure out what they've done, they mm-hmm. absolutely yank back and withdraw everything. Um, right. And, and again, it's, you know, you know, for the sake of dramatic storytelling, it's at the last minute and, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But what a great, oh, just, it was a very wonderful, it was the culmination of everything that's happened since Discovery came to the 32nd mm-hmm. century. You know, you got to remember that at the beginning of season three, uh, Discovery and Burnham arrived a year apart. You know, so Burnham was a year early. Uh, she crashed on this planet and then had to dispose of the Red Angel suit uh, because she promised Spock that, you know, she would send it back through the rift and let him know that she was okay. And then she met Book and then she spent a year running around with him doing courier stuff. And I'm actually listening to an audiobook. I started it this week while I was working in. I'm finally in my new office in my house, which I'm excited about. So <laughs> I'm in there and I had my iPad next to me just playing this book on tape once I had run through the half dozen or so podcasts I listen to every week. I was listening to this book on tape. And again, those events are non-canonical, but I've, I've kind of, I'm starting to kind of come around to the idea that if something is not disproven in Star Trek by something you see on screen, it could be canonical. That's okay. That, that works for me. And so, and so far it's kind of an interesting story because you really see Burnham trying to, to cope with her, you know, 23rd century ide- Starfleet idealism of how stuff works versus the way things are, because you have this entire galaxy that has been fractured. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the Federation's falling apart without a lot of dilithium. There are in, entire chunks of the map that are totally broken up, that people are not um, not connecting, and the, the Federation has shrunk to almost nothing. And Discovery comes along. They're able to find out how to resolve the burn. They find the big planet with um, the member of Saru's species that is made out of dilithium, so they can now dis- Discovery is able to hop around and give people dilithium, and they start to rebuild the Federation. And, you know, this whole season's arc was about, well, we're rebuilding stuff. Well, we not, now we have this extra galactic, you know, most alien species that's ever existed in all of Star Trek that because they sent a mining tool in, it's just, it's eating planets and and how do we solve it? And at the end of it, with everybody pulling together and kind of doing what, you know, Star Trek does, which is, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, everybody brings something to the table. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, they create a solution 
this episode had the greatest ending it could have. You know, they come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. The the original, uh, you know, founding fathers of the Federation return, including Earth. And we get Earth's president played by, did you catch this? Um, yes, but I don't remember. Is that Amanda Waller? I also couldn't. No, <laughs> I don't remember. They did, they did not bring in. Uh, yeah. Well, oh my God. I made the same mistake when we were talking or, about Peacemaker. Whoever played Amanda Waller, that it wasn't Octavia Spencer. It's the other, the other black actress of that same ilk. Yes, and I know, I know who you're talking about. And but yes, but this was actually, and I saw I was it. Very excited when I saw her, and I was like, Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> I, I saw it, and I was excited, and I was reminded. I'm like, Is that who I think it is? I had to go back and in my memory, and then I had to, of course, go to Memory Alpha, which is where I get all of our recaps, and I had to look it up um, about a year or so ago. Stacey Abrams. It's Stacey Abrams. That's she what was, I kept thinking Abrams and Amanda. I kept, that's why I kept getting those two. Right. Even though uh, I have nothing to do with them in my brain. Stacey Abrams, <laughs> who is a she's a politician down in Georgia. I don't know if she is a congresswoman or if she is a senator. She's one of the two. Um, was interviewed on the, uh, the 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 official Star Trek podcast, which is hosted by Tawny Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins, which hasn't been on, you know, since since Lower Decks has been off. But that, that's how I kind of knew that she was this enormous trekker. And she came on. I thought she did a passable job. I was talking to April. She's like, boy, it's really easy to tell when someone's not an Hector, because they can't deliver lines, and I'm like, oh, cut her a break. It was a big deal. It was I a real. She did great. I mean, she didn't have a lot to like. I don't think that there was really some way that she could have really chewed that scenery. Right. Yeah, it couldn't have been emoted too much, but it was it was spectacular. So Earth mm-hmm. is back in the Federation. Uh, we get to see our characters, uh, you know, getting to you know plan vacations. So you've got like. Uh, you got, you know, Stamets and Dr. Colbert going to Puerto Rico and everybody's going on a vacation. And then, of course, you get to see the smiling and the hand-holding scene between Saru and President Tarina of Navarre. Which was so cute. It was, though. It was wonderful. I so it. It was, it was, it was super cool. And I loved, I loved the big pullout shop because Federation headquarters had to propel itself to earth in order to help enhance the the defense field. And, and early in the episode where they were evacuating everybody. So Federation headquarters is just sitting there in orbit, kind of like space dock in the old Star Trek, but you have all this fleet. And so they do this great big pullout and you see earth you, and it stops on earth. And then that's the, that's the cutout. It was just, it was it was the perfect Scooby-Doo ending. It was the yeah. it was it was riding off into the sunset, beautiful. I I thought it was fantastic. I really like. One it. thing that Discovery does really well, as far as I remember thinking at the end of season three when they did the time jump, and they were like, "Okay, yeah, and there's going to be a season four. And I'm like, "Why?" I thought that was the end of the series, and they do they do this really good job of wrapping it up, but also leaving openings for it to continue. So if like if that was the end of Discovery, I'd be like. Yeah, that felt good. That felt like I got a series finale. Like right. I wouldn't be pissed about that. Right. But, both you know, of when them. they start the season. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and I I feel like that ever, you know, pretty much every time. But I feel like especially since season three, they've or season two, excuse me. That's two mm-hmm. seasons ago. They've yeah. done a really, really good job of just being like, okay, we're gonna kind of end on this high note. So then that way, like there is a like catharsis to it and everything right. is kind of like wrapped up and we're not gonna like leave you with them trying to go through, you know, and break the galaxy's edge to go talk to 10 C. And then you're just going to wait until the season five premiere to figure out if they actually stop the DMV or 
Right. Oh, God, that would have been horrendous. Right. That would have um, been horrible. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially since it's a full year. So it's not like, you know, right. it's not it's not like the summer. And it's funny. I, I've heard several times Patrick Stewart talk about uh, the summer of 1990, which was the, the Borg two-parter in TNG, where at mm-hmm. the end of it, he was Locutus, and then it was the summer, and in the fall, you got to see the rest of the story. So he tells the story that I'm just driving along Mulholland Drive or whatever in L.A., and somebody pulls up to me at a light and turns to me and, and yells at him, you ruined my summer! <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, yeah, it's just a horrible yeah. cliffhanger. Because, even because uh, you know, there were cliffhangers for seasons one and two. The, cl- mm-hmm. season, the season one cliffhanger was like, oh, they're going to meet the Enterprise, but it wasn't this great sense of urgency. And then even season two, you're like, oh, they're going into the future and they'll continue that story and it'll be all well and good. But it wasn't like Picard's a, Picard's a Borg now and what the hell right. is going to happen? So, yeah, so you're right. Ended it on a high note. I, I believe it's been confirmed that Discovery is coming back for season five, which I read uh, something that this will be the first Star Trek season, or Star Trek series to have a season five since Voyager, uh, oh because God. because Enterprise Enterprise got canceled in season four back in two thousand and five. So, um, so yeah, um, and uh, wow, and we we know that Picard is going to end with season three, but that was always their plan, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um, the the only kind of bone I have to pick with this, and it's kind of like you know, it's necessary, but whatever is that at the end of it, there's the very familiar, um, you did a bunch of bad shit, but then you did a bunch of good shit. So we're going to forgive you. They did it that with, Gir- they, too. yeah, they, they with did it with, they, yeah, they did it with Girardi and, and Picard. And then they did it with book and this, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. uh, well you did a bunch of good stuff. So now you can go be refugee guy. Cause that's his, book? yeah, it's his I job at the end of this. book so much. Um, because they were like, your penance is going to work. And help these reclamation families. That one was fine. Uh, yeah. Or that one, that one made, cause it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like imprisonment, but not like you still have a sentencing there. Right. But, um, it's the, community, community service. As yeah. The general of earth's army. Earth's uh, oh, Ndoye. Yeah. General. Yeah, Ndoye, yeah. Where she had just as much of an active role. Yeah. High treason, exactly. Yeah, high treason. And I guess because she was willing to commit suicide, but then survived. It's all good. It's fine. And I was like, she still, like, she she still, like, Book's reasoning was, I think, much more sound because he watched his entire planet die. Right. Like, that's some severe PTSD. She just wasn't willing to listen. Right. Like, and let her own fears rule. So I was like, like when the president was like, oh, always, you know, I will always have you serve. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go ahead and do community service too. Yeah. (laughs) In the the military, you get the boot for that kind of thing. Right. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it always reminds me, it was funny, it was something that, that Oxford said when we we were watching the episode uh, or or rewatching it, we were talking about in season, from season six to season seven in TNG, there was the one where Data's brother returned and he had Borg. corrupted yeah, he had corrupted a group of Borg and then they corrupted Data and so Data threw in with them and he was torturing Jordy, which is everybody tortures Jordy and TNG. It's just a thing. Um, and imprisoned Picard and Troy. But at the end of it, he flipped around and helped them escape. And then at the end of the episode, he was just back on the ship doing his job and it was like no big deal. So it's like Todd says, well, I guess we'll just forget about all those people you killed. It's not a big deal. You know, <laughs> so it's just like that, that, that permanence. <laughs> that, that's just a, yeah, that object permanence. Uh, it's a very Star Trekky thing. So, oh, well, mm-hmm. we can we can forgive them for the tropes that they do. 
Um, yeah. But anyway, let's move on to uh, to Star Trek Picard. We're going to be talking about episodes two and three, which again, be, because there's a cliffhanger between the two, uh, if, if we start to blend notions, that's fine. But I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, Picard finds himself transported into an alternate timeline in the year 2400. It's actually 2401. I'm just going to change that because that's wrong. It was established mm-hmm. what year it was. Eh, where his longtime nemesis Q has orchestrated one final trial, air quotes, uh, Picard searches for his trusted crew as he attempts to find the cause of this dystopian future. And what a dystopian future it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- this was nuts. So you get Picard thrown into this. You know, he it's a, it's a carryover from obviously season, or the, the first episode of the season where, where, you know, Q shows up and gives himself a makeover at the end of it, which I think is adorable. And uh, he and Q, it's a little rough. Q's a little edgy. He shows Picard the back of his hand when Picard gets a little too lippy i mean it's just q is, is a little rough and then and then he breaks out um mm-hmm. and so picard is kind of left to kind of ferret his way and again he's still at the chateau so he's in the, uh you know his home his home turf um but he's then learning about what's going on in this alternate future he's in where he's part of the confederation of planets so basically an earth-centric uber totalitarian un impossibly uh powerful military that has conquered the Cardassians, the Klingons, the Romulans, the Vulcans, the uh, Ferengi, and even as you find out the Borg, which is like, well, nobody's ever conquered the Borg. What the, what the hell do these guys got going on? Um, and and <clears throat> what, uh, what they're able to find out is that uh, Picard is uh, summoned to um, Confederation headquarters, which is, of course, San Francisco. Um, it, through part and parcel, he's able to reassemble his crew, so Right, that's kind of how yeah. this episode is goes as it starts as an introduction. Like because at the end of season one, you kind of got that Q introduction, and Picard realizes he's like, "Wait, what's going on?" Yeah, and exactly. This episode is you know everybody kind of figuring out where they are in this alternate timeline where you have you know um, Seven of Nine, who's now being referred to as Annika. Um, she's no longer Borg. She's the president of this mm-hmm. confederation of you know planets, and then you have Rafi, who's the head of security or the head of police. Um, uh, Rios ends up being one of the commanders and you still have poor um, uh, Gerardi is still just the lonely she's, awkward scientist who she's has just a, made a cat. Of, who is pa- Patton Pat Oswalt? Oswalt. Oswalt. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely I, fantastic. I was Pat wondering, I, there's, a, there's a line in the, I'll just skip to season three real quick where she talks about how one put, about how her subconscious Picard might find out how she still misses her middle school cat. And oh. I was they should have said I like. I would have just loved it if she said, "You'll find out that I really miss Oswald, my high school." because that would have been like such a great little chef. But canon in my brain that she had made that little that little there, cat after her middle school cat. There's no. I, I love Pat, and I'm seeing. I'm seeing him here in Grand Rapids in the summertime. April got me tickets. My second time seeing him. I have most of his recorded works committed to memory. I am such a big fan. Such a big fan. He's he is definitely one of us, and he's been in. Um, all the major works he's been in the MCU, he's been in DC, he's been in Star mm-hmm. Wars. He's uh, he's kind of been in Star Wars. I'm sure eventually he'll be in Star Wars more, but now he's now he's for Star Trek. So, uh, but anyway, yes, by hook or by crook, all of the the crew gets together, um, and it, I come to find out the guy who's playing um, Annika Hansen's husband is actually the real life father of Sochi, who we do not see 
in oh, this. She, she, I just, I only noticed it because when I saw his name in the casting sheet, it was the same last name. So I just, oh, I cool. dug a little bit. And that's what and I found well, out. We don't see Soji. We do have a mysterious Adam soon because we do get Brett Spinner's voice back as right. uh, Picard is flying over San Francisco. You see this uh, hologram. Right. It just says, you know, the, a future or a safe galaxy is a human galaxy in Spinner's voice. So obviously, Adam Soon is some right. you know, offshoot of the Soon family, but we don't actually know who or right. what with or what that means for Data. So it's very possible he might come back in some way, shape, or form. I think that's absolutely going to be a piece of what we see and where we end up in the next episode, which is right. you know what, what's predetermined because again. Our, our crew, when they reassemble at Confederation headquarters, all kind of playing their part of, of being who they aren't, uh, they found out that uh, a, the remnants of a Borg queen, so basically half of her body, uh, mm-hmm. played by actress, actress Anne Wershing, who is, I love her. She was on she was on the show 24. She was one of the main characters' girlfriends and stuff. And she's just been in a lot of cool stuff. She was on this show Timeless that my wife loved where she was a villain. And I just think she's really awesome. She does she, fantastic. She actually has a Star Trek pedigree she was uh, a guest started an episode of enterprise so she's not new to star trek but yeah she is the third actress to play the borg queen and then you're like oh why can't they get the same person because the borg queen is simply a vessel to the borg queen consciousness like all borg are so that part that part totally makes sense but the borg queen is also aware that time is fractured um Mm -hmm. so she is or time has been broken is actually her uh what she says so at any rate you know as we kind of skim through here our people break loose uh they're able to reassemble uh onto the the this universe's version of La Serena, which of course Rios is still commanding as a, an officer of the Confederation, and they figure out that they've got to skip back to uh, 2024. That's a divergent point that the Borg Queen tells them uh, that it comes for. So they're getting her plugged into the La Serena when you know um, the stupid husband and his stupid security people catch up <laughs> and one last ditch yeah. effort to try to stop them. And, you know, and they're all, you know, that's how episode three ends. They're all pointing guns at I'm like, this is going to be resolved in literally 60 seconds when the new episode starts. And was it ever? Because they were all three. It was the two security guards plus okay, dumb, dumb husband got vaporized. Blamo. And let's, let's, I'm just going to start out angry because they ended season or episode two with Elnor getting shot. No, that was, that was, that, that was in, yes, no. Well, anyway, no, yes, he got shot. The end of season or, or the end of episode two, Elnor yeah. gets shot. Yeah. Um, so season three starts with the chaos and poor um, poor Rafi's trying to get Elnor to right. the bay, but the queen is taking over all of the power in the ship. I'll just read this real quick because I realized I jumped into season or episode no, three. No, 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 no matter. Actually, reading the thing. Well, like so, I said, there's just two parts. It was it was kind of one story, so go nuts. Yeah. So um, I both loved and hated this episode because. I yelled at them, all of the characters, so much because, you know, spoilers. If you don't, haven't watched the episode yet and you don't want to know, don't listen. Um, Elnor dies. Mm. And Yuck. I was so angry, not just because personally I love Elnor and he's one of my favorite characters, but Rafi is continually abused by the writers. Like, she is just perpetually having this tragic backstory. Like, we meet her in the first season. She's you know, got a substance abuse problem because of the relationship with her son. She right. finally gets over that. She starts building bridges and, right. you know, she accepts that he's no longer in her life. So she takes on this mentorship and kind of mother situate, you know, mother role with Elmore. He's been accepted into the Academy. She feels like she's able to start over and then he's taken away. 
And then everybody, like at one point, Picard literally says, well, she's being too emotional, right? I'm like, she literally just watched her son die in her arms while she was screaming because you guys were saving the Borg queen, which I understand you kind of need her for time travel. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. But still like have a little bit of empathy I know what she's going through. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, you know, I totally, yeah, you're right. She is the Jordy of the series. They just keep jerking her around. And, anything, you know, anything crappy that can happen. Yeah. Both of them are black, but they do have a writers do have a problem, especially with black women of abusing those characters. Like they are defined through their trauma. And I'm like, Please try something else. <laughs> yes, I, I I hadn't thought about it in that regard, but you are 100% correct. So let's hope that's not an enduring trend. So at any rate, just to wrap it up, we're in, we're, we, you know, they, they use the slingshot effect, which we saw in TOS and then in Star Trek 4, to end up uh, into, you know, 2024, which is interesting. It's it's a callback, and I think there was even some signage I've seen on Twitter in the last couple of days. Uh, in, in a two-part episode of DS9, uh, a few of our cast members through a through a, t- a transporter accident end up in 2024 in San Francisco, where they have these um, they, right. have, they have these um, these districts where they put poor people, and that's where I think you see Rafi wandering through when the guy tries to mug her and she beats the shit out of him and mugs and mugs yes. him, which is awesome. I yeah. think that was the sanctuary district. She was in mm-hmm. the L.A. sanctuary district where during the same year, the Bell riots took place. I believe it was in fall of that year. Happened in the episode and Cisco had to step in and take the role of of uh of Bell uh for the sake of history and then it's his picture in the history book and stuff but mm-hmm. anyway um yeah it's funny they all materialize weirdly because the ship they crash it uh on Picard's land in France just so they can have somewhere to hide the ship the ship's out of power so they have to use the they have to beam them and in beaming uh it's just Rios and Rafi and Seven in beaming uh uh, Rios, he uh, materializes in midair and you know breaks his hand or whatever. So he ends up in a clinic uh, oh. with a yeah with a which is a, pretty cool. He ends up in a clinic with a, with a doctor who's one of these. Well, we help people out who have immigration issues and don't mm-hmm. want to have questions asked. And then naturally, it's an ice raid, and so they have to find something to further complicate his situation. But a lot of great sparks flying between him and that uh, that sassy doctor. I think. Yeah. Oh, yes, very much. They were very. Uh, very immediate with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so so I, I would I would imagine that will continue. But yeah, they they kind of took him off at the end, and so we're kind of kind of left hanging to see. And meanwhile, you've got uh, you, you've got the whole. Uh, they plugged, yeah, like you were saying, they plug Agnes into the Queen to kind of try to help her heal her up a little bit, and then she and Picard had a little bit of the, you know, you're not my father, but I wish you were my father. It was like it was like when two people get too drunk and they're being a little bit true, too truthish. And it was kind of yeah, the, kind of vibe. That's a great thing. Allison Pill, who plays um, Agnes Strati, she is just so fantastic, and I honestly wish that we got more of these like really great scenes with her because. Like the whole thing of like the war queen's kind of semi offline. So she, so Jurati has to kind of go into like get plugged in so she can kind of do like this mental mind game. It's very Professor X fighting, you know, psychic battle type of feeling to it um, in a Star Trek vibe. And so what she tells Picard is, you will know when I'm being assimilated based on what my subconscious is doing because he's literally communicating to her subconscious. And it is very fantastic to watch her go through these subconscious motions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like at one point she goes, she's knocking on the humor door. Oh, nothing to see there except for mirrors used for deflection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, was, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so 
on point, especially watching, like if you were talking to someone subconscious who has severe depression mm-hmm. and, you know, and works, you know, uses humor as a coping mechanism and tries to like hide that regularly. Mm-hmm. So it was a very beautiful moment, I think, for her character as far as growth goes. And I think that hopefully it shows some growth with Picard because at one point she flat out calls Picard out for the fact that he just does not emote. He does like right. he pretends to have emotions so that he doesn't have to deal with what's going on in front of him. Right, right. Wow, yeah. Ooh, that that naked Borg honesty. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Tough stuff. So yeah, and so then you find out that she'd like totally uh outsmarted the queen of the Borg, which I'm just gonna say, uh, for a moment, like that Borg was you know like she wakes up and she's like crawling because she doesn't have any legs and i was just right. like hello hello borg mommy like yeah wow. right <laughs> am i still a pretty mommy <laughs> yeah no kidding that is pretty yeah i think uh yeah it, uh, nobody's outsmarted the Bar- borg queen since janeway so she's in pretty good company not yeah. bad at all <laughs> all right well rolling on and we're gonna we're gonna have to unfortunately pick up the pace here but uh well we're gonna talk about 1998 star trek Insurrection. This was the ninth film uh, in the uh, Star Trek Pantheon overall. Uh, the third film in the uh, Star Trek um, The Next Generation movie series, directed by Jonathan Frakes, the same as its predecessor, which would be Star Trek First Contact. I will read uh, this little description here, and then again, there's some corroborating facts, but as usual, we're just kind of going to talk a little pros and cons and kind of overall what things mean. So uh, as the Dominion War ravages the Alpha Quadrant. Now, keep in mind, this was during season six, season seven, season seven. Uh, so the final season of Deep Space Nine, uh, when when the Dominion War was cranking, uh, an idyllic planet in the middle of an unstable region within Federation space serves as home to the peaceful Baku and it's a variable fountain of youth, which you learn throughout the movie. They don't just come right out and say it. Uh, when the Sona and the uh, uh, and the war torn, when the oh god, this is ri- ri- Sona weird. and the war torn Federation plan to oh war torn yeah they, in order to rejuvenate the they were they were yeah they were missing a comma for me it was throwing me off. Uh, Captain Picard <laughs> and the crew of the Enterprise and Worf for some reason who happen to be visiting uh, must rebel against the orders of the Federation Council in order to save the Baku and expose the atrocities. Uh, that are about to take place. So, um, it's funny. I, I would I would have loved to, believe it or not, have Todd on for this episode um, because he. We saw this movie. We were. We, it was the last year. It was his last year in college. My second to last year. So it was our last year living together. And we went to go see this at you know the Celebration Cinema in Lansing uh, there because we both attended MSU. And he was like, that movie was super boring. He says, it just felt like it was a long-ass episode of the series, and they didn't really do anything. Um, I don't know. I, 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 you know I, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to agree or disagree, but you know what? I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you, you, you've heard Todd's take. Now, what is, what is, what is Katie's take? Um, I can agree with him to a point. I Watching it, I felt confused more often than not. It seemed like there was a lot of ideas and they never really fully fleshed them out, which is sometimes very TNG and very like old school Star Trek because there were just really random moments like Worf going through puberty again because I guess because of the Fountain of Youth or like this youthful, like the rings of this planet were basically giving off particles that rejuvenated everyone's DNA regardless of species, which was a little strange. Um, and so I was trying to figure out, I'm like, well, 
they had said that like you don't like that doesn't start affecting you until you mature and no one else was going through puberty again. So I was very confused by that. And then you find out that the like Sona actually left the planet. They were part of the Baku, but you don't really find out, or at least I didn't figure out why they were like disintegrating essentially. Um, Because they were like 200 years old, but they, they didn't, they have to stay on the planet. It's the rings around the planet that they go through this, you know, and again, this, this movie has your very typical bad admiral. You know, played by Anthony Zerby, who was also a Bond villain at one point, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> or, or or more to the point, he yeah. was in, he was in a Bond movie. It was one of the uh, it was one of the ones from the '80s with uh, Timothy Dalton, where he also got put into a pre- a compression chamber and somebody flipped the <laughs> dial and he exploded, just like what happened in this movie. It's like right. talk about being pigeonholed as an actor. That sucks. And, and I, guess, like, <laughs> I just couldn't figure out because. Like the Sona, I guess, were like rebellious kids that left the planet because they wanted to go explore the universe. And then instead of just coming back and being like, hey, guys, actually, we decided we'd rather live forever than go out and explore. Um, they just decided to go back and like kidnap their all of their family because they're all related. And right. then they were like, when that didn't work, they're like, that's fine. We'll just kill all of them. And I'm like, right. so there were enough here to be considered an entire race to be valid in this. Right. And then also... They're everyone on board except for one person is totally fine with annihilating their entire family. Yeah, they're like baby bathwater. I mean, it's just like, oh, we've gone been gone for so a century and we're so bitter and we don't give a crap and blah blah blah. And because it sounds like they tried to take over the colony, but the Baku that stayed managed to suppress them. And right. they they expelled them from the planet. Yet they took all the technology with them. And in taking the technology, these sonar they redubbed themselves the Sona went off. They conquered two other races and integrated them into their society as a servant class. So they have slaves, which you see two other species on the bridge of their ships. Um, so how did they get away with all the technology? They weren't really banished. It was like they had a war, but they never came back. So it was, they didn't have enough power to go back. They didn't feel like with all the technology, they couldn't go back and overthrow these. What did I call them in the show? Or just go to a different part Uh, of the planet. I called them space. Yeah. Space granolas. Well, they're bad guys. And again, it's very Billy Zane. Like, well, we're bad guys. And yeah, we can't. uh, Tarka looked like a, 4D rendering at this point in comparison to these guys. <laughs> oh my god! I, oh my god! I realize we're we're talking all along, and I don't have a good I don't have a good title for the episode, so we're, we're going to have to riff on that. I like <laughs> I, I like space granolas, but whatever, that's just yeah, me. Space granolas also very much works. Although I will say, as a positive note to this episode, I thought um, once again, Brett Spinner saves everything uh, <laughs> when Picard's singing, <laughs> and he has because. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with Data because it starts out Data's kind of gone haywire and they're trying to contain him. So Picard just starts, uh, like opens a con channel and starts singing this musical that Data had been rehearsing before he left. And Picard was like, no. Yeah, he goes, Warp, you have to start singing. And Warp just goes, no. 
Well, it's so it dumb because so one flatline, like absolutely not. And it's, I mean, it's funny, but Worf does like to rack out to his Klingon operas. You see that a oh, bunch absolutely. of times. I mean, you know, because in DS9 and in, in later seasons that he's on, he lives on the Defiant full time and he's mm-hmm. got like the bomb ass sound system. He'll sit in the captain's chair, he's going to crank up those Klingon operas, and he'll be, it would be like if you could, you know, sit. You know, in a big theme, and like you know, sing, you know, you know, sing, don't stop believing at the top of your lungs. Right. I mean, it's, it's just a like dude it's, in it's his great. Eighty-nine, you know, Camaro rocking out, you know, to Metallica or something. Like he's just <laughs> killing it. <laughs> Worf rocking out to Klingon opera. Name of the episode. <laughs> um, so. Uh, you know, th- there there are enough plot holes to kind of drive a truck through or, mm-hmm. you know, fly a hollow ship, if you will. Um, yeah. You know, there's obviously, you know, obviously allegories to uh, the treatment of Native Americans in this country, the Trail of Tears. That mm-hmm. that is that that's a very Star Trek kind of theme, you know, fight injustice, which, you know, Picard says the same thing, you know, uh, no one is ever meant to be hurt or how many people is too much to kill, you know, in uh you know, in any forced relocations, you know, you get, you get some transitory stuff. Jordy gets his eyes back, but then he doesn't have his eyes back. Riker and Troy get back together, which again, as a Riker and Troy enthusiast, I love that. And then we then find that they go on to get married in the next film and then they have yeah. a family, and, blah, blah, blah. And, and I were, like that. Yeah. And they were very, that was very cute. Like their reactions together They're you know, again, those two have such great on-camera chemistry that it just works, but it felt like they were like, Again, it was one of those things where I was like, did I miss something? I thought they were they weren't together yet, but immediately like they're they're acting like a couple. So it felt very like I didn't realize that the reason why they were saying they were acting like a couple was because of these like rejuvenative qualities. Right. It just planet. I guess I mean this sounds like a a movie from the eighties, you know, the rings make me horny. Oh god, there's a better one. Space oh, rings Space Rings make me horny. All right. Yeah. Um, but you know, space rings make me horny. I like it. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, you've got the Picard with, uh, you know, Donna Murphy, who she's a, broad, she's a Broadway diva. At least that's how she was always described in articles about this. You know, that's a total misnomer. Oh, it's a romance, blah, blah. Nothing ever again. And yet he doesn't, you know, why didn't he get together with Beverly? You know, because they like, oh, we can finally express our feelings or whatever. Right. And that's the thing. I'm like, if everybody's getting, you know, if everybody's horny, then why isn't it? I mean, he was more into Beverly when they had that drunk episode. Beverly. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Or the one where they were stuck on the planet where they were, you know, joined together with the the implant thing. It was a later season seven episode. But But, um, oh, I I, I will say I would watch an entire movie like I wish this movie was just an hour and a half of data with that kid. And that kid trying to teach Data how to be a child Aww, because at the end when they pop up out of the haystacks, hay yeah, oh yeah, yes, and Beverly and there are crushers sitting there, and she's like, "Data, we have to go," and he's like, "Oh, I have to leave now." Womp, womp. <laughs> like it was such a, I know that it was it was like they meant it to be like a tropey, like my mom's calling me, I have to go. Yeah, right. The street like, lights are on. I got to ride my bike home. Yeah, yeah, it was so precious, and it really played to Data's childlike quality that he has in his innocence, and really seeing that comparison with an actual child because he, even weirdly in TNG, they never really explored that a right. lot. Even though there were children supposedly all over that starship. 
Right. Well, yeah, well, on the Enterprise D, not on the E, but still, yeah, he was running yeah. kids all the time. And there was that one episode where they rescued some kid from a disaster and then he was called Hero Worship and he idolized Data. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, it was a coping mechanism and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but, uh, okay, just to break it down. So uh, pros for me, I think it was nice that that there were there were arcs for most of the characters in this. So mm-hmm. Worf, Worf was kind of a tag on. Data had a great arc. Picard yes. had a great arc. Riker and Troy had their great... It was the only part mm-hmm. of it that really moved forward. You know, Jordy getting his eyes back, eh. You know, I mean, why did why did leaving the planet mean his eyes die? I, I guess I don't understand what that... Because well, of the next that, episode... If it, was a genetic, if it was a genetic issue, it might be that his eye, like the cellular degradation oh, happened again because okay. his cells weren't able to replicate or weren't able to regenerate themselves. That's so, and, that super science and I accept it. Um. <laughs> I did think it was really beautiful with him just wanting to go down planet side because he's like, I've never seen a sunrise. Right, and, and like he, having that moment with Picard was, I thought, very beautiful. It was, that, was, that was his moment. Um, mm-hmm. Beverly didn't really get a great moment except for the, no. hey, have you noticed how your boobs started to firm up? That was yeah. obviously played for laughs and because then, you know, Data goes and repeats it, which is just like, which is, I, like I said, it's done for the absolute like, uh, but other than it that, you know. It was very 90s. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Like, oh, uh-huh. boobs. Oh, they can say boobs in Star Trek now. Woo. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't list all the F-bombs that Tilly drops in Discovery. That's still years off. Um right. So, yeah, I, you know, like I said, for the cons, I felt like there was a lot of this that didn't really add up. You know, the mm-hmm. whole, the, the, the refugee, they went from, oh, let's move off to another planet to let's blow them up. Uh, you know, it, maybe it was because he just decided to say, you know, we were going to work with the Federation. But, you know, what? instead, I think, I think screw the Federation. We don't really care. It's not a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say that legacy to the franchise, as far as I'm concerned, the Riker and Troy relationship, because obviously that drives through right. to the next film, and then it does drive into Picard. So I would say so, but I just don't know anything else that happened in this movie that had any lasting impact on anything that followed it. And again, this is the second to last hurrah for the next generation crew, because after right. Nemesis, Nemesis, which came out four years later, we we never saw, we haven't seen them all together again. You know, mm-hmm. so and and we're not necessarily likely to, although it, I mean it. It could happen, but you know, if if in the last episode of Picard at the end of next season they're all together like hello, that would be. It just seems like it would be highly unlikely. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, but for the fact that this did just feel like a longer episode of the show, which you know to not, play not de- a great episode, honestly, exactly. <laughs> but but to play devil's advocate, you know, you know, if the argument is well, that's not what the original series movies felt like. The original series had seventy nine episodes, where TNG had one hundred and seventy six episodes. And the the space between the TN or the TOS movies and the show was over ten years. Where this happened, th- th- where the TNG movie started immediately after the series ended. So it's mm-hmm. very it's very natural to for for things to feel very episodic, which I think pretty much they all did, with the exception of um, First Contact with the Borg. That felt very much like a big cinematic, like explosions and stuff where the other ones were kind of like you know nemesis we'll get to that in a in a, a few episodes here but nemesis was a was a fart in church for me it was just just a dud um so yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna hear anything anything favorable about that for me so uh all right pros and cons from you and then let, let's give it a rating so you go ahead okay yeah pros definitely um date and the kid absolutely mm-hmm. um cons uh wharf i didn't understand that i feel like they could have given him a better story and just right. like the, well, the him, entire... him 
him being there was like, uh, Worf, what are you doing here? Like at the beginning when they're having the, the they're all getting together and greeting, right. they're he all in uniform. And he says, yeah. well, I was at the such and such colony checking security. I'm like, why? You're at yeah. Deep Space Nine. That's your job. Your first officer of the Defiant. War is on. Why are you dicking around doing something at some random? It's just so you could be in this movie. So that that was dumb. That was just dumb. Yeah. Um, so I didn't quite understand that. And I thought they treated like his character poorly as far as stuff that was going on. Right. Um, and yeah, just the entire plot of the movie, the overall plot of the movie. I just mm-hmm. didn't quite understand. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And I would say, you know, Legacy to the Franchise, kind of the same stuff you said as far as, like, I think basically Riker and Troy. I feel mm-hmm. like that was probably the only thing, but mm-hmm. it seems like that could have been something that could have been established even off screen because it's not like that chemistry wasn't there in the series of TNG. So them showing up and, like, being like, hey, we finally got together and we're starting this next episode or this next movie off with a wedding, I would have been like, yeah, sure, that totally makes sense. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, it, it was kind of a what 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 I loved labeled in the old series uh, with all the uh, if you walked down the corridors one of the Enterprise, you had all these weird like half of a pipe here or a corner here, and they were labeled G N D N goes nowhere, does nothing. Could mm-hmm. potentially be a description of this film. I think that's no- our title right there. <laughs> the G the G or yes G N D N G N D N. I love it G N D N. All right, well with that. Uh, we conclude our first supersized episode. We still came in under an hour, which I think is not bad. It was very concise. Uh, <laughs> but with that, Katie, take us on out of here. Yes. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grant Potosky and Region 13 on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you, as always, that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. And wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.